everyone. If you fear for the future, you're not alone. United, we can respond effectively to crises like Ukraine, the pandemic, or climate change. Russia is waging, waging a brutal war in Ukraine, forcing more than 3 million people to leave their country. In addition, there's the pandemic, which is still raging across the planet, leaving behind a known death toll that has surpassed 6 million and is likely uh, structurally higher than that. And on top of that, the IPCC recently warned about simultaneously occurring weather extremes causing cascading impacts that have exposed millions of people to acute food and water insecurity. And I spoke recently in another podcast about all these crises that are stacking up. There's a water crisis, a food crisis, there's a crisis in leadership. Uh, we even have to deal with inflation and economic problems. We have severe energy crisis. And all of these are interrelated. So if you fear for the future more than you've done at any other moment in your life, you're not alone. The current challenges are so complicated that we forget about the long-term challenges. And as I wrote earlier, these long-term challenges of the past, they have now become urgent challenges. So there's a pile of momentous and complex crises that are all interrelated and they form a challenge for leaders in democracies that can no longer wait. But as you know, our democratic processes usually take time to work towards a consensus. I've been involved in these processes for many years as a diplomat and we work really slow, uh, but in the end it's a successful system. But the way it works is that our leaders have often been rewarded in their careers by simply not taking any sides or by never breaking with established practice or by simply never taking risk. And dictators and terrorists alike have in the past made use of this weakness in democracies. And since they often thrive on ever expanding their actions to a grandiose scale, they take this lack of an adequate response to their misbehavior as an encouragement to go a step further. And history is full of examples. Uh, it's probably the first one you would think of, and he's referred to quite a lot in the, in the last few weeks, is, is Adolf Hitler. Um, he started with this, this remilitarization of, of the Rhineland in 36, and then there was the annexation of Austria, and then he went further, he seized Sudetenland, uh, we went through this period of peace in our time and democracies were not responding adequately to, to this threat. He then conquered the rest of Czechoslovakia. And only then, after he invaded Poland in 1939, um, then that was a trigger for declaring war and, and, and uniting for action, and that was 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 a chaotic scramble in those in those first years, where many of those countries that did unite, France, for instance, uh, lost uh, before they were were effective in in stopping him. And it was only the bravery of Churchill and and the UK that uh, that that saved uh, Europe from not becoming completely conquered uh, by by the Germans. Um, uh, another example, take Al-Qaeda. They just kept stepping up their campaign to a bigger scale all the, ta all the time. The first big one was these East African bombings in 98. And then two years later, there was the attack on, on the USS Cole. Um, and that was 
then followed a year later with the 9-11 attacks. And that was, again, a kind of trigger. 9-11 was so big that democracies that were reluctant to, to act against it could no longer wait and, and were united in taking action. So with all democracies' flaws, and, and there are many, and of course everybody knows the, the, the quote of, of Churchill, whom I already mentioned, um, that, uh, that there's simply no better system, it's still a bad system. Um, but for all these democracies' flaws, there is a watershed point where leaders of democracies realize that the old recipes are no longer applicable. And instead, a radically different united approach is needed to deal with a problem that has expanded and expanded until it became beyond acceptable limits. And it takes a day of infamy for democracies to put all their political and economic and organizational might together to defend themselves. And as a result, previously unthinkable alliances, previously unthinkable technological innovation and a drastic change in society suddenly becomes possible. And then a new chapter in the history of the world opens. And I'm not claiming that there's beauty in these chapters. The, the responses include uh, the record time development of nuclear weapons or horrible chapters of warfare <clears throat> in many countries. But it is these watershed moments where democracies stop predicting their future and start creating it. And they protect free societies when they are under siege. And you may recognize a bit of Abraham Lincoln and what I just said. It's a variety of his famous quote, and I'm actually aware that uh, there's no source in the world that uh, can prove that Lincoln ever said this, uh, which is often the case with, case with with famous quotes. But I'm pretty sure that he would have proved it in this context, because after all, the same man said that there is nothing good in war except its ending. And anybody that reads the newspapers these days and, and follows the media on what's happening in Ukraine will agree with him that there's nothing good except in its ending. And that is what Western democracies are now resolved to achieve. The West has imposed a wide range of sanctions in an impressive display of unity, devastatingly impacting Russia's economy and society and Western leaders. Latest move is, is now, it's a couple of days ago, to, to further isolate Russia by stripping the country of normal trade relations. So when you deny Russia the benefits of, of, of the WTO, the World Trade Organization membership, you will ensure that Russian imports do not receive the most favored nation treatment. And this allows country to impose higher tariffs on Russian goods. And it, it preserves, it prevents Russia from, from borrowing funds from, from the IMF and the World Bank and other multilateral institutions. So as a result, Russia is now the most sanctioned country in the world. And I fear for what the future will bring. And, and you may not be the only one sharing my fear. Mr. Putin has likely, he had expected to get away with this unprovoked invasion of an independent democratic country. And I believe that he looked a lot at, um, at Poland, in, in Poland in September 1939. Uh, but he forgot uh, those those lessons of uh, of the invasion of Poland and also of Pearl Harbor and also of 9-11, that there is a point where democracies that have been bending backwards for a long time suddenly close ranks and respond when you go too far. 
But yes, I do fear for the future because I, I don't know what the future will bring. And I see multiple crises develop that will impact each other. And, and so let's hope for the people of Ukraine that this one ends soon. And let's hope for all of us that this planet and, and uh, that, that, that we have a united resolve against the common threat and that this, what we see now, that this will inspire similar effective cooperation to deal with other global threats. We already saw during the pandemic how countries were coming together and, and, and working together, but not as much as we should have. Uh, we're still doing uh, not enough of that. And the, the big one before that, that is still uh, more potent than ever before, the one of climate change, we are far from working together uh, to solve this. And then there's the biodiversity loss and the pollution and, and, and all those other priorities. And some of them I already mentioned. And these include, you know, you, you need partnerships to achieve all these goals. And um, when, when democracies behind, unite behind common goals, then, yeah, we should have more hope and we should fear the future less. So I think the element of hope in all this that is taking place now is that you see that the democracies in the world are united in a way that, that nobody had, had expected. And um, you see that um, uh, Putin gets increasingly frustrated that things are not working. This is not, nothing is taking place that he had predicted. So the, um, uh, Putin's also surprised by the resistance of, of the Ukraine um, army and the Ukraine civilians. And he had never expected this level of condemnation and this level of sanctions. Um, uh, Zelensky suddenly became a hero. He didn't expect that either. Um, um, it, it also, I know that a lot of the listeners uh, to, to my podcast are Americans, and, and I think it's also interesting to see what will happen with, with Joe Biden, um, because everybody looks at, at, at Putin and Zelensky, but Biden is another player, as the EU as well, of course, but the EU is always less visible in, in, uh, in, in one uh, one person, the, the EU is always a, a, a mix of personalities that that take the floor, which can be both a strength and a weakness. But if we look at, at Biden as another player here, um, how will he get out of this? Um, um, Ukraine will determine the fate of uh, a lot of these key players um, uh, that I that I just mentioned, and that will also be the case for Biden, because Biden is now suddenly, he became a wartime president, which nobody would have thought just a year ago. He, uh, and he, he is not a kind of person like Woodrow Wilson, and he's certainly not a, a, an FDR, Franklin uh, Roosevelt, um, in leading a war, uh, nor is he very, very eager to, to start a third world war, uh, and rightly so, some people say we are already in it, um, but he is very determined in uniting this front uh, against Putin. He says Putin instead of Russia, which I think is fair enough in this case. Um, and he's been uh, he's been quite good at it. And um, I, I, there was, of course, his uh, his his State of the Union address uh, where he vowed to resist uh, Putin. 
uh, Putin's invasion of Ukraine together with uh, with Europe. And um, I think that unlike um, previous presidents like Clinton or Obama, um, he knows quite a bit about foreign policy. And he's been a senator for a long time. He's been vice president twice. So he is less inexperienced as many U.S. presidents are, certainly talking about uh, his predecessor that absolutely knew nothing about the world, not much about the U.S. either, if you ask me. And um, um, I think his first start in Afghanistan was, was, uh, was, was, of course, regrettable in many ways. And one thing that was disappointing was the lack of intelligence. But now, only one year on the job, that has changed. He has uh, he had the right intelligence, and he has used it in a very clever way in um, in, in in producing a counter narrative uh, to what Putin has been doing um, by sharing. Uh, all the secret information that he got, which is very unusual for a president to do. He denied uh, Putin a pretext to invade Ukraine because whenever Putin created some kind of plan that there would be some kind of incident a bit similar to uh, what happened in in, in 39 in Poland when um, uh, German uh, soldiers, uh, Nazi, Nazi Germany soldiers, um, uh, secretly uh, crossed the border into Poland and then invaded Germany from Poland in uh, Polish uniforms that they were wearing, that kind of thing. Whatever Putin tried this time, um, uh, Biden just publicly shared the information with the world, which is which is a very interesting uh, approach. And he rallied a Western alliance, uh, which I think is is, uh, is is very promising. He, did, he didn't do that alone. The Western countries united. Um, it's, it's amazing to see how traditionally neutral countries in Europe are also uh, also joining. So there's, uh, there's a lot happening. Um, but I fear, as you can also read in the newspapers and hear political leaders saying that um, things will get worse before they will get better. Uh, Just as those other watershed moments that I mentioned, if you think about Poland in 39, it got a lot worse. If you think about um, 7 December 41, the the unprovoked attack on, on, on Pearl Harbor, it was horrible, but it got a lot worse. Um, and if you think about 9-11, uh, which was really bad, but it got worse either because there were wars in, in, in two countries, uh, which were uh, a direct result of what happened on 9-11, or let's say they wouldn't have taken place if 9-11 hadn't been there. Uh, that also killed many, many more people. Uh, than this this brutal slaughter of innocent people that that happened on uh, on 9/11. So these were uh, these were just some thoughts. Uh, I think on on last thought on Biden. I think this uh, this will very much define his presidency. Um, it's it's become a wartime uh, presidency in uh, in a very complex situation. Also nationally in the U.S. Uh, where um, normally, when the U.S. goes uh, to war, although in this case we cannot say there's 
there's a going to war, but the, but this this is uh, a conflict where where everybody is involved in, although not as as fighting parties. Um, but in a situation like this, normally the ranks close uh, behind the president, uh, and, uh, and and what is happening now is certainly not the case. It's it's a kind of internal war that uh, that was fighting already in the um, in in the past few years, and that's certainly not solved yet. Um, so warfare is when weapons are involved. That's luckily not the case here, but uh, there is uh, there's a, a a polarization in society that has not been solved yet, uh, as as what we saw in the past few weeks. Um, so it 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 will be um, yeah that it, it it it's a new chapter in the history of the world, and a lot of things will change. So this is um, just some thoughts on the Sunday evening, as I have done in the previous few weeks. Um, so it's it's um, it's a bit of a different podcast. It's not with inviting guests here, but if anybody has questions uh, or comments, uh, please do. Um, and if not, I hope that you will join tomorrow for the more regular podcast, uh, which I will do with uh, Vanessa Champion tomorrow at 11 in the morning uh, Eastern time uh, so that everybody in Europe can also listen as well. Um, I hope you thought this was interesting. Uh, I would love to hear some comments afterwards for those that are not raising their hand now. Um, thanks for the clapping that I just saw. And oh, I do see a question coming in, uh, Lizzie. Hi, Lizzie. Can you unmute yourself? Lizzie? Yeah. Oh, I lost you. You're back at the listeners. If there's a question, Lizzie, then just press the call in button again. If not, I don't see you reacting. If not, then please come back tomorrow in the same show. Oh, there's um, Evelyn joining. Hi, Evelyn. Hi. Hi there. I was just, um, you, you know, you mentioned... Um, I can't hear you yet, but that's probably on my okay, side. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. I was using a different um, microphone that was probably the sound. <laughs> Okay, got it. Um, yeah, you mentioned traditionally neutral countries, so I had to jump in on that um, because, well, I wasn't as surprised that um, we joined in with the EU sanctions, uh, Switzerland did. Sorry, I, I guess not everybody knows I'm in Switzerland. Um, I wasn't as surprised as everybody else that we joined in. And I think what what happened was what you mentioned. There was just it was just a step too far, so we could not not react because not reacting would also have been taking sides. So that that really goes goes with everything you said about that step too far that then um, made our president or just our government say, okay, now we have to. It posts those sanctions as well. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting point. I, yeah, but when when you're in a community with a lot of um, countries together and you say that you are neutral, you take sides as well. I mean, look at all the votes uh, that are taking place now about a Russian invasion. Um, there were 140 countries in in the UN uh, that that uh, that supported the decision. 
but that also means that apart from uh, the four or five countries that were actually supporting Russia, which was uh, uh, Belarus, Eritrea, North Korea, and one more that I forgot at the moment, um, uh, the, all those other countries that didn't support the condemnation of of this 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 brutal unprovoked um, invasion of a democratic country and that either didn't show up or that abstained from voting in a way they all did uh they did send a message as well so um i would i agree with you i think it would have been very very strange if uh, a country like switzerland uh, which is uh, which with with Geneva has one of the seats of um, of of the United Nations and and is is focused especially on all kinds of um, humanitarian uh, chapters of the United Nations. If a country like Switzerland would not have uh, spoken out, but it is it is unique, and we we saw. Uh, we saw other examples that are unexpected. Uh, for instance, the, the, the uh, Queen Elizabeth in the UK um, uh, taking back invitations that were already sent out to Russia and Belarus. That is, I think, completely unprecedented. Um, and yeah, Finland and Sweden, uh, traditionally neutral countries, uh, were not only outspoken, but I believe if I'm not mistaken, but I do have to double check, but I believe that they are also sending arms as well. Um, so that's a, that's a very uh, clear position. Um, I think in a case like this, uh, you you can't you can't say uh, I'm neutral or I abstain or I just don't even show up in the room. And then claiming that you are somehow not involved, um, it is it is a bit like. Um, uh, like taking a, a trying to find some kind of nuanced position about genocide. There isn't any nuance there. Genocide is is one of the very worst things that we have created in human history, and there's quite a few examples, unfortunately. Um, and uh, you can't say that there is uh, that you don't have an opinion about it because if you do, you you have. And I think this is very much this situation. I'm I'm very happy that uh, that Switzerland uh, joined uh, these countries, including the sanctions, which is an interesting aspect for Switzerland as well. I I suppose with the banking secrets in uh, in Switzerland, at least you don't have the big yachts to uh, to confiscate uh, like other countries are busy to do. I suppose. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about, about the banks. I mean, there's there's probably still a lot of Russian money here that we're not blocking because they're not they're from people who are not being flagged. But you know, that's, that's yeah. you could probably do a, an entire podcast on Swiss banking. <laughs> we should we should do that. Yeah, but I don't know much about it, so I would need to invite an uh, an expert there. Uh, but it's an interesting aspect. <laughs> okay. Hey, it's uh, thanks so much for calling in. I realize uh, in Switzerland it must be now three o'clock at night or something. So well, which is um, almost two. It's only five hours. Oh, it's only five hours. Okay, but still, I I, I suppose. 
um, I, I shouldn't keep you uh, keep you any longer. Thanks so much for for joining in. I'm sorry that our our, our group was so small, but uh, the the start was uh, was a bit uh, a bit tricky. Um, so um, so thanks for this, and I hope to um, I hope to see you and uh, and everybody else uh, tomorrow at eleven uh, Eastern time. Thanks so much. Bye bye.